excited. I'm very excitable. I think I'm excitable. We have an amazing guest this week on Kill Me Now. I hope, well, first of all, I hope everyone is really healthy and safe, except for like Republicans. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. Not all Republicans, you know, just the asshole ones, but um, it's so great that we can still do our podcast via Zoom because I, you know, this, our guest this week is He's a little intimidating because of his level of intelligence uh, and his knowledge, uh, his vocabulary, the way he sees the world. It's gonna be it's gonna be challenging for me because he's a fucking smarty pants and he's so fucking funny. And his new album is like number. Is it what is it? Mike? Is it? It it was it came out on the first day. It was number one. I was and you know then think more albums come out and everything keeps happening. Right, whatever but, yeah. it doesn't yeah. matter. But ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> the amazing, the incredible Mike Kaplan. Oh, Woo! oh my god! Yes, this, Mike. That's thank the you. Jew bell. I don't, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm assuming you've never listened to my podcast because why would a comedian listen to another comedian's podcast? <laughs> so this is anything remotely Jewish gets a ring. Okay. Um, I love it. <laughs> and okay, so Mike, I first I know you. Uh, let's. Just, I just want to say, first of all, you know, it's such a pleasure to have you, and I know you, and I've been hearing your name for years. And I don't. Did we ever do anything besides like a club in New York together? Uh, no, I think only I, the most the most recent time that we were at uh, like the Village Underground or the Cellar, right. we were on a show together, and I I remember this so fondly that you like I said that you, your your set was funny, and you were like, yeah, I've been doing it thirty years, like you know, doesn't even <laughs> like, and then and you said, and you were funny, and I was like, oh, that's very nice of you to say, and you were like, what's nice? It's true, and I was like, that's beautiful, <laughs> and <laughs> I'm so awful. And can I tell you also, uh, yeah. when I start, I started out in Boston around 2002 and one of the first, you know, all of my jokes were bad until I had one joke that I thought was like my best joke that I would do at the beginning of my set every time and everyone would then get on board and it would trick people and then you'd, you had confidence and then a couple, you know, I don't, after doing it a few weeks or a few months or whatever, some older comedian was like, hey, that's a Judy Gold bit. And I was like, oh no, it was. No, Really? Yeah, it was like, uh, you know, about how gay people uh, can spot other gay people. Oh, my God, and, that's my joke. Like yeah. the blacks? Yes, 100%. Like, um, I was like, Jews. Yeah. <laughs> and oh my so God, that's I was one like. one of my oldest bits. That's one of my first bits. And then I used to say, uh, oh, and now everyone, look at all the people looking around for the black people to see if they can laugh at the joke. Of course. Okay, that's a big compliment because you are very smart. Oh my God, I love it. And I love people were looking out for my material. That's right. But yeah, we we have we've only performed like, you know, here and there a couple times. but yeah, I've also obviously known of you since the beginning of my career when when I had to stop telling that joke. Oh, I'm sorry. But I have I have other ones now. I'm very yeah, you have a lot of them, actually. You know. I know this is going to shock you, Mike, but we have a lot in common. 
A lot. I... <laughs> um, Please. Our penis size? No. Oh. Um, okay. So we're going to start at the very beginning. Um, sure. Well, first of all, everyone, you know, I want you, after you hear this podcast, to go listen to Mike's comedy if you haven't heard his comedy. He's fucking brilliant. And he has six albums, right? Is that what Thereabouts. Yeah, yeah, that's about right. You might recognize him. I mean, you've been on, you've done a lot of TV. Plus you did the anti-TV, like America's Got Talent. And oh, Last yeah. Comic Standing. Yes. Uh, but then you've also done, you know, Letterman and Conan and you have Netflix special and Amazon, you know. So a lot going on in the career, which is good because you're a white man. So <laughs> I, as as are you, I'm really worried about my grammar for this one. Oh, All you're, right. you're doing great. Okay. I am also from New Jersey. Ah. Uh, you're from Livingstein. <laughs> um, I grew up in Clark. Ugh, don't even... But you're from, and I know so many people from Livingston. Okay, first of all, uh, but they're all way older, probably your parents' age. But, you know, that is Jewy Jew area, Livingston. Oh, sure. Yes. But, and are you only, you're half Jew, half Italian? No, no, my- no, all uh, Jew. I'm all Jew, but my parents divorced when I was a teenager. And so my dad, for the past 25 years, has been married to an Italian Catholic woman. So that is the the, okay, the, Laura, the topic. Yeah. Fuck you. I knew he was all Jew. And <laughs> Laura's like, no, he's half Italian, half Jew. That's the lie that Howard Stern tells. Okay. Please. All right. So you're born in Livingston. I do a lot of research on my guests. And your childhood is nowhere to be found anywhere. So we're going to have to discuss it. Are, you're an only child, I'm assuming? I am. Woo! <laughs> um, uh, because I remember a bit you did and you said you were talking about your grandmother and that you're, her own, you're getting all the money. Okay. Oh, yes. So, so let's, let's, so, and what did your parents do for a living? Uh, my parents were both, when I was growing up, music teachers. That was- they were Oh just, my God, yeah. I'm in love with you. I'm in love with you. <laughs> uh, where did they teach? Uh, my mom taught in the public schools in Fairlawn Elementary School yes. in Bergen County. Mm-hmm. And, and my dad was the high school Saddlebrook, uh, the Saddlebrook High School band director. Mm. Jewy Jew and Richie Rich. Saddlebrook is <laughs> Uh, I think, yeah, certainly, you know, I've a, I have a friend, Erin Judge, who's a comedian I started yes, out with. Yes, I know Erin Judge, yes. And she had this joke when I, when we were starting out where she wor- she was had a day job at Harvard and people were like, oh, working at Harvard, very right. smart. And she's <laughs> like, I'm not, like, I'm not the genius. I'm like just cleaning their cages. She's like, right. if you work at the bank, it doesn't mean that you're rich. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, we lived in a, you know, uh, it, certainly I was very fortunate. We had a house. We, right. like, they were teacher mean, salaries. teachers, yeah. right. Yeah. So you're an only child of two music teachers, which means all your summers were off, right? They were off all summer? Yes. Yes. So did you spend time with them? Like, what was that like? How, it's, it's I mean, you're, did you go to summer camp? Sleep I did one hundred percent. I went to. It's in the Torah. <laughs> <Old> Exodus. <laughs> um, 
Yes. I went to a day camp, you know, just uh, where I'd come right. home every night from like age, probably like six through right. 10. I think 10, I went away for three weeks to French Woods. Do you know that place? No. It's like, and then I went from age 11 onward into my adulthood. I was a camper, CIT counselor at uh, Bucks Rock, which is a, uh, it's sort of a, a camp that was founded by a man who studied with Maria Montessori. So it's like, you do whatever you oh, want right. all day long, like no specific times to go to specific places. Very, just complete, complete freedom, uh, like an arts camp. And that right. I, sort of where I became like, I, I used to be super shy, a super introvert. Like we moved when I was like 12 and I just had a difficult, I, I had a challenge starting over, like meeting right. people. Cause of you course. never, especially uh, when you're shy, it's fucking shit. But yeah. yeah, but the camp was like full of these other, you know, artsy, you know, outcast, misfit weirdos. Right. And so every, I was like, oh, people are sometimes nice, can be nice. And that's where I sort of started, you know, being a teenager coming out of my shell and then right. talking and talking and talking. And then I went off to college and I was like, hey, didn't you know you could just talk all the time? And some people were like, did you know you don't have to? And I'm like, I don't think so. <laughs> now I have a microphone. Yes. So you grow up, your parents uh, are both music teachers. You're in Livingston, New Jersey. Like, do you like, so is it just normal? Were you, did you have a lot of friends? Were you, what, so, like, what was your group? I, I'm gonna, I'm assuming your life was pre-divorce and, and post-divorce. 100%. So did you, so you're, you're you were a nerdy Jewish kid, is that correct? That is that is a hundred percent correct. And I went to before we moved from like kindergarten through seventh grade, and then we moved like right after that. I went to a private school, so it was only there were only really 20, what private school? Uh, Farbrook in mm. Short Hills. Oh my God! Everyone, we should <laughs> all everyone just whoever's listening, stop your car. Short Hills, New Jersey, like. Rich, I think it's one of the richest towns in the in the country. Oh yeah, I had I had friends like one of my best friends had like a, a I didn't even think of it as weird at the time because it's just like you know your your right. childhood is like this is normal. Your family right. is your family. Your friends right. are your friends. But they had you know they had a a mansion that had I would go over and they had like secret like passageways that I guess were old you know like servant passageways. They, no way in their yeah. Short Hills mansion. Yes. So yeah, that, they were definitely. Isn't that weird? It's like my kids, you know grew up in New York City. They're both Jewish. And um, they went to public school. And some of the kids in public school were so wealthy, like really. And then there was the janitor's kid there too. Like that's why I loved public school for them. Cause they, but it, you really see, you know, income inequality when you're not wealthy and you're going to the fucking private school. Why did your parents put you in the private school? Was the Livingston public school shitty? Uh, I guess I never really talked to my mom about that. I want you to discuss it with her. Uh, I, w I will af immediately after this. I've been talking yes. to my mom a lot more during these times right, uh, right. And, and enjoying it and getting to know about her childhood and mine. So this is a great, great question right. for future research. But uh, yeah, I, the income inequality was most clear to me in like the tooth fairy uh, distribution. Right, right. I, I legit had a, a friend who they were like, yeah, they give me like a hundred dollars for a tooth. What? And I was like, uh, I was like, I get a dollar. I think I got is, a yeah. quarter. I got a quarter. It makes sense. There's inflation some, but right. yeah. Yeah. So you are in grammar school. You, 
do you have a group of friends? Like, yeah, I think so. Everyone was friends with like it was like right. there was nobody who was completely like outcast from that childhood group. Like right. everyone would invite everybody to all the birthday parties. See, like, that's nice. I didn't have that, but that's nice. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been real weird if you're like, okay, you 18 are invited and you are not. Like, right. so that was, just- was, I was the one who wasn't invited <laughs> and that's why I'm a comedian. Okay. Uh, sure. And there were definitely yeah. like some, some kids who were sort of, it was like a spectrum of like, there was like popular kids and there right. were like, you know, weirdos. And like, I was certainly on the weirdo end right. of the spectrum, but everyone was like fr- friends or friendly, even if I didn't realize I was probably annoying some people, but they're like, ah, it's just part of our family. You know, right. this is, how it works and and I was quieter. I remember like saying the first funny thing I ever said, which uh, like when I was 12 and uh, and it's not even the funniest thing, but that right. was like, if people are like, when did you first, like, were you funny the whole time? Were you a class clown? Right. Like I was not, I was like a class quiet. I was certainly just like good in school. Like I was, I got yeah. good grades. That you was got great, great. So you were a brainiac. Yes. And then did you go to Hebrew school after school? Uh, I did go, I, I was given the choice. So like I started playing the violin when I was four and that was like one of my main extracurriculars that wasn't a choice at all. Like, because my parents, like my mom in particular was like, music is like more important than religion in our home in a way. She's like, you're going to, you are Jewish, but you're going to do music, you know, like you don't even have to do all the Jewish things. But so when I was maybe eight, she was like, do you want to go to Sunday school, Hebrew school? get a bar mitzvah, you get presents. And I was like, I like that. She was, I think she was, you know, playing up the presents angle. Right, of course, because so, otherwise, forget Yeah, it. so from eight to 13, I went, I think it started one day a week, like after school Wednesdays or Monday evenings. And then it was like a couple days. It was also right. Saturday morning or Sunday morning. Eventually, right. special bar mitzvah class. Eventually, it was like- It three, wasn't yeah. Saturday. That's Shabbat services. You're a bad Jew. When uh, it, was a re- <laughs> it was a reform temple. And it was definitely, oh. the. I think when you, little kids, the littlest mm. kids had class on Saturday morning. I got, yeah. But then it, it moved to Sunday. But yeah, so I did all that, had a bar mitzvah. But then also then every Saturday, uh, quote unquote, bad Jew, uh, I had from uh, when I wasn't going to Hebrew school, it was all music school. Music school right. all day, Saturday for most of my childhood. Okay. So what? What? wait, what are your parents' names? Uh, Bonnie is my mom and oh. Bob is my dad. Oh, that's so annoying. Bonnie and Bob. <laughs> okay. So what? Now, was your mother, What did they, they were music teachers, but yes. were they, uh, which is, by the way, what I went to college for, but ah. when, when were, did they want to be musician? Like, is was this a dream that never happened or? That's a great question. Also, I know that they met when they were both in, in at NYU studying music. Right. And then they, they both got, I think, master's degrees in music from mm-hmm. other places. And that I think that definitely like my dad, when I started doing comedy, was like, well, how will this, you know, how right. will you pay bills? How will you pay rent? So I feel like he's always been a, you know, a rational minded, right. you know, like society, like, a you know, component. Uh, right. And my mom, my mom as well. Like, I guess I, I don't know if they had if they wanted to be stars, you know, I don't, I don't think so. Cause I think they were both very surprised when I was like, I'm going to go, I'm going to talk to the people, you know? So did you, did they have their own instruments that they were, that was their focus? Oh yeah. My, I would say growing up, my mom mostly played 
trombone and like other bar- horns, like baritone, wow, French horn. That's so butch. <laughs> oh yeah, they played in like March. In addition to the schools, they played in like the marching band down the shore, like the Jersey no Shore, every way. summer. I oh love yeah. That. And they and also what about yeah. your father? My dad played. He, I think, I think of his main instrument as clarinet, but he also taught private lessons in clarinet, flute, and saxophone. Those were like right. his so main things. So he's a woodwinds. Yeah, and, and she's, she's I was brass. clarinet. Yeah. I was oh, clarinet yeah. and piano, and your guitar. And I, I am, yeah, violin first, and then Drinks. mainly guitar. And my mom now also does when when possible in the before times. She retired from teaching in school, but does teach. Uh, pr- private piano lessons now. So that's her main. Oh, piece. I love that. Oh, yeah. Oh, Bonnie and Bob. All right. So it's <laughs> you, Bonnie and Bob. Yes. They're mer- music nerds. You're a nerd nerd and a brainiac. Yes. And then the shit hits the fan. Yes. Now, so you're 12 when they got divorced? Uh, I think maybe 13. 11? Yeah, oh, I think 13. I think officially with the divorce 14, but I think the separation around 13. But yeah. so had you, was it before your bar mitzvah or after your bar mitzvah? Uh, they were together at my bar mitzvah, but my mother did recently tell me that like that it was not the happiest time. Like that, right? So she, she was yeah. probably like, "We'll get through the bar mitzvah, and then we'll talk about because I cannot go on like this." <laughs> um, so. What, to, what happened? Like, did, uh, first of all, I'm always curious because my parents didn't divorce. They fought, but they stayed together. But like, do you, did you have any inkling? No, when I definitely growing up, uh, I, I say I start sentences with like certainly and 100 percent, right. even when I don't know what I'm about to say. I'm like right. very confident. That's my the right. heritage of like, do you know, the thing in the Talmud where it's like a rabbi is like, I've got one piece of paper in one pocket that says this world was created right. for you. And the other is we are nothing but ash and dust. And so it was a big focus on this world is created for you in my house right. growing up. So I was like, oh, yeah, and that still to this day, I'm like, I'll say things even if I don't know what I'm going to say. But for sure. I, I don't know if there were any signs, any red flags, but I remember thinking as a child, as like, you know, a single digit age child, thinking like, my family is so happy. Like, I'm thankful they'll never get divorced. I remember thinking right. like, they well, this is together forever. Like, I, I don't even know, like, how do I even know about divorce? I don't know if right, I had friends right, right. whose parents did, but yeah, but then... Somewhere, we so, so we wait, moved you, when I was um, 12. They yeah. were together. We moved to Upper Saddle River. How come you moved? Uh, because my parents both worked in Bergen County, so okay. they wanted to live somewhere closer. And I believe that had, like, they had a, a good school system, you know, right. in, in that area. So, so yeah. you got out of the private school. Yes, I was. They were supposed to keep me there to finish it through eighth grade, but the our house sold real quick, and they were like, "We have to move." So I was like, "But my friends are like, you right. you would have to leave these friends in a year anyway. We'll right. give you more oh, of an allowance." Awful. Uh, so yeah, it was it was it was sad, but you know, I didn't. It was all I knew, and I now understand that I would have had to experience some new beginning at some high school somewhere right. else. But right. Uh, but yeah, it was, you know, in that age, it was certainly, it was going to be tough no matter what. But yeah, so we, now we're in so Upper So wait, River, at yeah. your bar mitzvah, you got to invite all your friends from the other school, right? Yes, they, yeah, all my old okay. friends came to the bar mitzvah. I'm very into the bar mitzvah. Oh, yeah. Now, did you make a lot of dinero on the bar mitzvah? Uh, I, I was allowed to keep a few hundred dollars and then everything else went into what, I don't know how much it was, but it all went into a college fund that then along with the half scholarship I got, 
it was able to make it so that I do not have any student loan debt. That's so it was awesome. enough to pay for half a Brandeis. Right. Which is very Jewish, oh, you oh, motherfuckers. Yes. <laughs> Hey, everyone, you know, one of my favorite things in life, if not my most favorite thing in life, which, yeah, it's arguably my most favorite thing in life besides my kids and is food and eating. Eating is my favorite activity and eating is better and easier with Factor. Factor, I'm telling you, I tried their stuff. It is delicious. It is great. It is high quality and they are, when I say ready to eat meals, they're ready to eat in two minutes. They're not frozen. They're never frozen. They're chef crafted, dietitian approved, and literally you heat them for two minutes. Every week you have over 35 options to choose from. They have calorie smart, protein plus, keto. I just did chef's choice. 60 or more add-ons that you can stay fueled up. They had these juice shots that were incredible. These are restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat when you are ready to eat. That's it. And they're really good. Elisa loved them too. There's no prep. There's no mess. I've tried a lot of these different kinds of meals. Factor is amazing and so convenient. It's so great to get home from a long day of like schlepping around and knowing you have this delicious meal waiting for you in the refrigerator that takes two minutes to heat up. And you can pause, you can reschedule your deliveries at any time. It is a great solution for those nights and days that you're looking for fast, great, delicious options with no cooking required. Okay? And factor is less expensive than takeout. So what are you going to do? Because I'm telling you, you have to believe me. I never lie. Factor is amazing. You're going to head to factormeals, F-A-C-T-O-R-M-E-A-L-S dot com slash Judy Gold 50, J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D 50, five zero. Okay. Judy Gold 50. And use code J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D five zero, Judy Gold 50 to get 50% 50% off. That's code JudyGold50 at factormeals.com slash JudyGold50 and get 50% off. It's worth it. You're welcome. Okay, so you then go to this new school. Yes. Which high school, I, you know, I was not, I'm not a fan. I didn't have fun in high school at all. But it must have been shit for you. But were you in the band, like you were in the band and the orchestra and all that stuff? Not that they, there was no orchestra and they didn't have a band, but I still did go to like separate music things and I did all state orchestra and- Wow. Uh, uh, yeah, I was, I was were good. Were you in the McDonald's? Uh, what's that? The McDonald's band? No, you didn't. Oh, I don't know that. Oh, that was like, it was all state. And then the McDonald's was two people from each state. Oh, no, I certainly yeah. wasn't in that. They didn't even tell me about that. But yeah, uh, they suck. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I I was, so I was still good in school. And so I sort of became, but eventually by senior year of high school, like I had a small group of friends that I'd be like, these are my friends. Like I had a, a girlfriend for the first time my senior year. Right. But leading up to that, it was all, I definitely credit like camp the, the the summer camp right. for like that's people don't realize how important summer camp is 
you know, people are always like, oh, the Jews, they send them away. But it really is bonding. Like, even my kids are like, mommy, you don't understand. Like, they're like my brothers, you know, like they're, you know. Oh, yeah. It's it, it's really special. And so that and it sort of seeped into the rest of my life, like to make me help me understand, be like, oh, like most of the kids in my high school, I now understand weren't out to get me, weren't right. bullied, didn't care, didn't think about me. Can I tell you this real brief analogy? Uh, one time, you know, Mark Marin, who I would say is my he he thanks. He was very gracious. And when my album came out, he he this year, like a, a week ago, went on his podcast and he said, Mike, Mike's got a new album out. Like we're, right. we're friends. We, we don't talk a lot, but you know, he's uh, he's funny. He's like a, an interesting man. He's a funny little interesting right. man, you know? So I'm like, according to Mark, we are friends. I am his friend, but for years, you know, he was like this intimidating, angry comedy dad that I right. wanted to please, you know? Yeah. And so years ago, I remember I was at a, uh, a sh- I was on a show with him in LA and in the green room, he was with a girlfriend at the time and he got up and I'm sitting next to her and I say as a joke, but not as a joke. I'm like, what does Mark really think of me? And she says, he really just talks about himself. And that- ah, that's so funny. I was, I would have said the same thing. And that is one, that is exactly what the high school experience is like. Like if you're worried that somebody, what somebody else thinks about you, probably they're not. Almost right. everybody else. So and all, I, all yeah. anyone thinks about is themselves. And, so, yeah. Yeah. And you took, did you really take a dance class for bar mitzvah? My mom made me. I, uh, yes, absolutely. When I so this is around age twelve, you know, so right around the move, also like all the upheaval, and I was not, I I was not, and I I don't want to say that I still am not quote unquote good with my body, but right. you know between brainiac and I'm not a brawniac, you know what I mean? Right. Like I my girlfriend now loves dancing, like dancing is like one of her you know sort of spiritual acts right. of communing with the universe, like she's right. so like, and she also exists in time and has a good brain and is a wonderful. Right musician and right. she's got everything and I'm like just catching up and I'm like oh you can I can move my body I can be aware of it I can feel it but at the time I knew nothing about it and I was also you know had these gi- new gigantic glasses and new braces oh, that's and, terrific and so just all these and all these kids who I also don't know like maybe one kid from my class in Hebrew school they're all different ages all different all different rooms or whatever it is. One girl from my regular school who also is kind of like, you know, a weirdo who like took pity on me. Like when other girls were like, we don't want to touch you while we dance. I'm like, but it's slow dancing. And they're just like, keep your arms like, you know, the Holy Ghost distance apart. You know, I'm like, we're Jews, you know, but this... I remember this one girl, Fran, I don't remember her last name, but she was just so nice to me, maybe even just once, but it stuck, right. out, it stuck out to me. And, but every, and it may not be that everybody else, there was like one kid who was like, look at him, he can't even do right. these dumb dances right. And I was like, well, that, I'll remember that forever. And uh, thank you, Fran, we love you. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you mentioned your grandmother a lot. Is that your yes. mother's mom? It is my mother's yes. mother. And were you really close with her? I was. She, she, today is right as we record this is the two month anniversary of when she died. She was 91. I thank you. Uh, it was, it was sad. It is sad, but 91 years. She was 50 years older than me. Uh, right. I think she, she's like, you were my 50th birthday present, you know? Wow. And, and, and I was her only, I was not only an only child, I'm, I'm an only grandchild. That's the wow. thing. Wow. So wait, did she have, do you have any aunts and uncles? My dad has one brother and he's married. So I have one aunt and uncle, but they don't have, 
kids. And then my mom is also an only child. So wow. I, am, I have no first well, cousins. Yeah. Mike, and I not looking good for the kids, huh? <laughs> oh, no. I mean, okay. uh, right now, I mean, who? it's not looking good for anybody right now. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's what I'm talking about. All right. Oh, yeah. So I was really close with my grandmother and she used to, um, Dorothy, and she used to come on the weekends uh she lived in elizabeth and then uh this is years ago before you know this is in the 60s and 70s and she would come and stay with us on the weekends and i shared a room with her and i fucking loved my grandmother um so i know like when you're when you're close with your grandparents and they die it's not it's not i'm sorry about that oh no it it's it's the the good thing is yeah you had Uh, her for a long time and you know what you probably got some great, you know, love and, you know, that unconditional, like I got stuff from my grandmother that I did not get from my parents. Oh, uh, definitely. <laughs> I mean, my, I know that my relationship with my mom is what it is and hers right. with her mom is what it is. And our, my relationship with her mom is so totally different. Like my, right. my mom and my grandmother have been like almost polar opposites. Uh, some ways they're so similar. And in right. some ways, like my grandmother would send me like dirty emails, you know, right. like, not, like, you know, like jokes, like joke forwards and right. things. And my mom would be like, don't do that. And my grandmother was like, well, then I just won't tell you, you know? Right. And she was just this outspoken, but it's funny to my girlfriend, my who's not didn't grow up Jewish. My girlfriend sees our family like the scene, the split screen in Woody Allen's uh, Annie Hall, where yeah. like the Jewish family's eating, right, right, and then right. the non-Jewish family. Right, She's right, like, right. "Oh my God, women who are speaking their minds, and everybody's right. just talking, and it's like chaos churning." But we are the chaos, and she's right. like, "My girlfriend's like, it's like double Dutch. Like I don't know how to jump in or where to jump in, but oh, we've been so doing funny. this for millennia." And so my, but my grandmother, yeah, she just she loved me so much and I loved her. And towards the end, like she just, I would call her once a week and then I would call her more, but she didn't want to talk all the time. Like I was, I got to, I had her on my podcast once and I talked to her for, you know, like two hours. And I'm just so grateful that I got to do that because ordinarily she's just like answers the phone. She's like, I'm playing Mahjong. I'm happy that you called. Just, just glad to hear your voice. Goodbye. You know, glad to make my friends jealous because their grandkids aren't calling. Why didn't she give me great grandkids? I, my grand, my friends, but I'm like, yeah, okay. Well, there, there you go. Wait, now, did did she live close by? Uh, growing up, she lived in the same town. Like my my dad's oh. mother lived. So we grew, we lived in Livingston, and my grandmother and grandfather also lived in Livingston. My dad's mother lived in Forest Hills, so we would see see her much right. more infrequently. You know, like holidays right. and things. Uh, so I just have more memories of more experiences. Like I would. When my for babysitters, like my parents would leave me at my grandparents, they'd go out. I would stay over there, so I like I lived oh, there. That's so nice, yeah. I slept over my grandmother's a couple times, but um, uh, yes. So you get to the you have a new high school, and your parents are divorced. Yes, right. So that's like fucking major. That's yes. major. Yes. And who are you living with? Uh, I lived with my mom. Uh, they, they had. For as far as divorces go, as far as divorces at this time went, like my parents were very like, I don't know everything that happened. I just I was the the line, the party line. But as far as I know, was that they they grew apart like it was nobody's specific fault. Nobody was angry at anybody. Ultimately, you know, they were like, this is for the best for us both. And so my dad, my mom and I moved just one town over so I could stay at the same high school. My dad moved about an hour away. Uh, And so then I would, they had joint custody. I lived with my mom, but I'd see my dad most holidays, you know, every Thanksgiving, on Thanksgiving, uh, for Christmas, once he was married into a, a family that's 
celebrated Christmas. And uh, then for every every other weekend, I would stay with him. And then once a week, I would see him for dinner. But I lived with my mom, basically. Do you feel like, I feel like it must have been, it's so much harder for an only child to deal with divorce than... It, it's the only, I don't have anything to compare to, right, but certainly right. that it does make sense. You know, I've, I dated a woman maybe 10 years ago. Do you know Micah Fox? She's a comedian. Oh, yeah, of oh, course. Yeah. So Micah told me that like when her parents were, I think, splitting up, there was a time there's so, I mean, there's so many things, but the relevant thing is like, she's glad, she's like, I'm glad that I have my, my brother and my sister to be like, this is what happened even, right, you know, right. like that they, they had this solidarity yeah, throughout and, that. Right. And you'd also like, I'm sure time changes your memory, you know, with the reality, your memory and the reality are probably two different things. And like, you have no one to say, oh, remember when this happened? Oh, poor oh, yeah. baby. <laughs> I, you, yeah. You also at that time changed your name. That was, uh, yeah, that was the the camp's influence that like, because at high school, in high school, I was just like, I sort of receded into myself. I was like, I'll go, I'll be in my classes. I'll do my right. homework. I'll, I'll exceed the way I exceeded and I receded. You know, I was just right. like, I'll just do, you know, play, play the game. The only game that I know, which is the do well in school game. Right. And by, by virtue of that, you sort of, then you're in the same classes with all these other, like, you know, sort of smart, if it's an advanced class, it's the, the smart people. And I'm like, oh, these are my, and they're a lot of them were nice people. So I'm like, I didn't like hang out with them outside of school, right. but I at least had some solidarity within school. I felt like, oh yeah, all of us, if we, if I had been like, do you want to hang out? They probably would have, but, uh, but at camp, it was just like, we're there. It's like school, you have to, and camp, you get to, you know, you're, right. you're there and you're like, oh, this is so great. And it's just create a creative environment. And I don't remember why exactly, but I had this dream, the only, one of the only dream. I don't remember my dreams a lot, but I had a dream as a kid that I was a history teacher and Batman and that I was worried that the Batcave, which was in a movie theater, my students were going to see me going into it and know that I was Batman. And right. later when I, I was like, oh, who knows what that means? But later right. I took a class, just like a seminar in dream uh, you know, what is it? Interpretation. Right. And they said, whatever things mean to you, like you can't just look up in a book and be like, teeth mean this. Teeth right. mean something different to you right. if your father's a dentist, you know, than, right. than if you don't have any connection to teeth. But I was like, what does history mean to me? I'm like, I hate that class. That's my least favorite school subject. It's my worst subject. And what's Batman? I love, uh, it's cool. Batman is cool. I love, right. and so it meant to me, I was like, oh, I'm like one cool version of myself during the summer. And right. one version of myself that I'm not happy with, the school version, but those worlds are coming together. They're in danger of- Yes, of colliding. And yeah. so at camp, I was like, I saw that as also the time that I came, I was like, I'll, I'll just, Prince changed his name to a symbol around that time for a reason that we would learn later was like uh, copyright related. Like he couldn't right. put out music as Prince, but he could as this other weird thing. And I right. was like, as a kid, I was like, I like that. I like you're doing this weird thing. That's all I knew is it was a cool, weird thing. And I was like, what can I do that's cool and weird? I'm in this safe, warm, like womb right. of a summer camp. Right. I'll just change the, sp I'm not even going to go as, full Prince. I'll just be like, look, compared to Prince, I'm normal. I'm just using the alphabet still. So that's right. when I changed around 14, 15. I was like, yeah, MYQ, why not? And all of my friends, if I was at school, people would have been like, why? Don't do that. You know, like, right. like rude audiences, audiences that are like, this better be funny. But right. instead of the audiences that are like, this is going to be great. I'm excited for this show. That's what my summer camp was like. Yeah, why not? Be, be a weirdo. Let that right. freak be flag. Be an individual. Yeah. Right. 
And so, yeah, that is where the name so change happened. So you legally happened. changed it? I didn't. I just told people, I put it on my camp name tag. And then, uh, you know, when I got email, when I got to college, that was the first time I had email. I, I just made it MYQ at Brandeis. And then, you know, I just, wherever I would go. And the only place it's like official now is because there's so many Michael Kaplan's in show business. There's right. like a costume designer who, he's right. got, he gets a lot of work. Michael Kaplan, Michael B. Kaplan. Right. There's so many of them. Uh, uh, at least a couple, so that Mike Kaplan is like my official name in like the union. But other than that, it's just a thing that I told and people what to say. Your parents and your grandparent, your grandmother do. You like, know, I think the same as everything else. They were like, "That's weird." I assume they, but they are also they were such in general. I would say loving, supportive presences that they were like, "No, okay, I guess." Uh, right, because yeah. it's not like you're out like doing drugs or anything. It's, yeah, I'm not. I'm not graffitiing MYQ on walls. Right. I'm just right. writing it in my diary, you know? <laughs> wow, that's so funny. Um, so you graduate and you go to Brandeis. Yes. Jew, Jew, Jew. Was that, was that your first choice? I would say it was not. Uh, I Here's what I did. I filled out the, there was a, the common application, yes, which meant that you could, app, yeah. you could only fill, you had only had to fill out. I was like, great. I think there was like, I would have applied to Brown, but they were like, you have to hand write your essay. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. I was like, right. I've already typed it. And so I applied to, I think, Harvard, Columbia, Tufts, Brandeis, and Rutgers. Those were, so like right. Rutgers would have let me go for like the, like almost nothing. And uh, I think Columbia I got into, but would, would they were like, give us all of the money. There's like only, you can take out loans, but no scholarships. Harvard, I didn't get into. And uh, the other ones I did. And so I don't know if I had a, I was just going to, see what I got into and see what the best offer was, like the combination of like financial and prestige or right. where it was all in like the New York, New Jersey or Boston area, right. uh, which I guess, I don't know. I never didn't really think about like, why didn't I apply farther away? I'm like, this is, this is fine. I'm like, I'm leaving this building, my home. Right. That's enough, you know? Well, uh, I went to Rutgers because uh, my, we, they made us, I mean, basically- it was so cheap. Yeah, it would have been a thousand dollars a year, I think. Yeah, uh, if mine was twenty five hundred a semester. Yeah, I and mean, and my brother went there, my sister went there, my father, you know, went there, got a law degree there, got an MBA there. You know, it's it's you know, but, but it's yes. like you're from New Jersey, you think it's the worst school in the world. Oh yeah, it's. I mean, it's like like it's not. It's like not leaving. It's like almost right. the same as being at home. But still. my mother said to me, "You could be, you know." 10 minutes away and, and be away, you know? So they oh, didn't, yeah. and we didn't have cell phones or anything. So I couldn't call my parents. Hmm. There was one phone on the dorm floor and I talked to them, you know, once a week and they, but they lived 30 minutes away, but I barely saw them. So, you know, oh, it's, yeah. it really is. <laughs> so, um, so what did you study when you were at Brandeis? Uh, I studied uh, philosophy and psychology were my majors. And was your were your parents pissed you weren't a music major? No, uh, you know, I, I very specifically, I, I mindfully chose not to study music because I, I had the sense that if I had to take classes in it, because I was like by this point, 
in high school, I also started teaching myself guitar and I loved it. Now, like I hated the violin. I was made to play the violin and Did I you like- you have a little mark on your neck? All the time, even just playing a little, if I played it right. now once, it would come back gigantic. It would right. be a three-dimensional hickey, you know? And so, yeah, but with the guitar, way better, not just because it doesn't make you have a hickey, but I was, it's same cool. deal- it, yeah, and it was my choice. That was the thing. Right. I played it for hours a day starting in high school. I didn't think of it as practicing. I was just like, I want to be I want to be able to play it. I want to get good at it. And so finally, like fulfilling my mother's dream of me loving music. Like I finally- But it was on your terms. Exactly. And, and that's why when I went to college, I was like, I want, I did do music. Like I was in a chamber choir. I was in an acapella group. I don't know if I took any specific classes, but I was like, I don't- want to have this be my assignment. I don't want to have right, to, right. because then, then I'll start disliking it again. Right. Because, because if you're made to do something, That's then you so re- resent because it. Because I went to college and I was going to go into communications and business, whatever. And I switched over to, and I was in the orchestra and I was in the choir and everything. But then I was like, I only want to learn about music. I like, I wanted to, like, it was the thing that kept my attention. Sure. And I was like, I want to get a degree. But this is the stuff that really I find fascinating, like music theory and music history. So it was like, it's sort of the opposite of you. Oh, which you know? I, I eventually came to that with comedy because here's, I took this one class, one day of one class of uh, introduction to the moving image, like film, a film study class. Right. And the teacher first day says, after this class, you will not be able to enjoy a movie the same way as you right. did before ever again. And I was like, but I love how I enjoy right. movies. So get out of here. But with comedy, same thing as you with music. I was like, I now I, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with doing it. And like, I read about it. I watch a lot of like, you know, I don't do everything that I did when I started, but I started devouring everything. When I started getting into comedy, I read books. I now listen to podcasts. Like, and I was like, I want, I want to be a student of comedy. And so of course, as a comedian, you don't laugh at everything the same way that you would if you weren't a comedian or before right, you were right, a comedian. Right, right, right. But you, but you have- also recognize things, why things are funny, even if you're not laughing at it. You could say, well, that's what the joke is. I don't find that funny. And but- the, yeah, it's even more special when you do laugh at something. Right, right. Oh, absolutely. But it's also like, I tell people this all the time. There are so many comics who are musicians because it really is all about the timing. And, it, and one syllable can fuck a joke up. Well, you know, one oh, yeah. accentuating the wrong part of a word can fuck the joke up. Saying a word, you know, three the same word three minutes before, it's oh, yeah. just it's just it's so aud- auditory, you know. Do you know you know what you just reminded of? A hundred percent. There's. Did you know Steve Sweeney from Boston? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I remember. So I started out in Boston doing comedy, and he was like one, you know, one of the big guys, one right. of the like Boston famous guys. Right. And I remember this. <laughs> he would he would want his openers to be completely clean, like. And he, I remember thinking that that was so weird because he had a joke. He was filthy, and he had like right. one joke where the punchline was that fucking fuck. He fucked me that fuck, you know. And right. I'm like, and you don't want, but now, now I completely understand why right. he doesn't want anyone else using any of the fuck meter. Right. Right. I get people who are different than me to open for me all the time. Of course. Why why wouldn't you? And I want, you know, it's so important. I like people who write jokes, who write material, who make people who make the audience think because it's it's better for me when I go up there. Anyway. (laughs) 
when you were in high school, you said you had a girlfriend your senior year. I did. And was that, did you go to the prom and stuff like that? We did. It was a very- uh, I didn't fucking know. go to the prom. Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, yeah. It was my first time, you know, participating in what seemed like, you know, the heteronormative high school right. culture. Uh, it, yeah, she was just a, a girl who was in my my homeroom and we just started talking. And I, w- I had like heightened confidence because I think I'd, I'd made out with like maybe a couple girls at camp that right. summer. Like the right. summer before senior year, like I kissed- Two girls uh, wow. at separate, which you know, like at camp, like it lasts two months, and each day it's like they say a month passes in a day, but like each day like takes a month. So right. I feel like I was dating <laughs> one girl for two weeks, and like that two weeks was like a lifetime, and then right. we broke up, and then you know after a, a respectable amount of time, I st- you know one day or whatever, I started dating another girl, uh, but then yeah, in high school I just started. The year before that, I had, a, I had a girlfriend who I didn't kiss at camp. There was just a girl who, my friend Sam, one of my best friends still at that time from teenagers on to now, he was like, this girl, Emily, likes you and you like her. You've both told me. And even then I was still afraid. I was still right. like, but what if I ask her out? And she's like, but where? We can't go out. Like, what are you even talking about? And I was just nervous and self-conscious. But eventually I understood at least like, oh, if somebody's talking to you and like is choosing to talk to you and seems to sometimes go out of their way to spend time with you, or at least if you start, if you ask them questions, they seem happy to answer the questions. Right, right, right. I was like, I think this girl might like me. And so that was my high school girlfriend, Jen. And so so you didn't do anything with Jen? Just uh, oh, no, no. Jen, we did. No, I didn't do anything with the first okay. camp girlfriend. With Jen, we did things. Wow. Nice. <laughs> um, and at this point, were your parents dating? Uh, my, at this point, my father was remarried. So uh, you, he's the one who's the fucking cheater, by the way. Go ahead. <laughs> I don't think that's true, but I do right. understand why. Uh, I why, always yeah. think that it's someone's cheating or someone's interested in someone else. Yeah, I understand. I, I think that might... My understanding is, and I, again, this is all speculative, but from my understanding of talking with my parents and what they shared, my dad likes being married. He likes the institution of marriage. So he did get married uh, quickly after meeting a new person is my understanding. But I think it is because he found, and they've been together 25 years. He likes being committed to a person that he loves. What about your mom? Uh, my mom has been engaged several times and had my mom dates. My my mom dates a lot, uh, and even now during the pandemic time, she right. has gone on some dates that are like you know six degree six six feet apart, right. walking in the park dates. Right, uh, and she goes to Jewish singles nights, and Aww. like when she's not in a relationship, she is some, very often setting up. She's on J date. She's on right. other. She's meeting people. She's right. she has a, that in common with me is like when right. I when I haven't been single in the when I've been single in the past I've been like oh like it's fun to meet people it's exciting right. to commune with other human beings right, right but and my mom was remarried uh, a few years ago for about five years and uh, he was not physically as uh, as well as could be and they they separated and then he went into hospice care and since passed away but uh, oh, she that's great for your mother she loved <laughs> her husband and her mother good night folks <laughs> <laughs> all right so you go to college or do, yes. now do you really this is what now when i went to college um uh, my secret santa my 
freshman year? My, my sophomore year dared me to do stand-up. And that's how I, I started when I was 19. So I, that's when I was like, oh, I mean, I was studying music, but I was like, oh. Oh no, yeah. This this is what I where what I'm meant to do. So You cheated on music with yes, comedy I and then I cheated and no cuz you know first of all being a music major it's like the you know it's not like another major. It's like you have to go to a separate places to study and hear symphonies and then and then you have to sit in the fucking practice rooms by yourself. It's so Ugh, and it's so competitive and they're all, oh, it's, and I was just like, I just want to get on stage and, sh- you know, like you, I want to talk, <laughs> I want to make people laugh. But did you, you know, you're, you're, you're talking about how like you're, you're, you're a nerd and you're this, but were you, were you funny? Uh, it's really funny. I, I thought I was, and relatively speaking, certainly to my kindest, most supportive friends, I was. Right. And then to my other, even my my roommates who like, I lived with these same guys for like most of college right. and we were, we were friends. And I remember when I told my friend Dave that I was going to do comedy. He, What's his Dave's answer, last name? Dave Ehrenberg. Okay, go ahead. Uh, Dave said to me, he said, you're doing comedy, but we're all funny. And <laughs> at the time, at the time, he might have meant we're all excluding you. Like, we're all funny. Like, not you. But maybe, like, several years but later. But it's also yeah. like, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no. Several years later, he saw a show, and he's like, oh, you are funny now. Right. But, like, certainly, I was certainly funny within a group of friends, but I was not funny with a group of audience. A hundred percent. I had delusional self-confidence that brought me to the audience. I did have, and so I started as a musician. I was, my initial goal before wanting to do comedy, was, I didn't even know comedy was a thing. I, but right. I knew that I wanted to be a singer-songwriter because when I was 15 and I started playing the guitar, I started writing some songs that I would play at like coffee houses or like the talent night at camp, right, you right, know? right, right. And everyone was like, everyone liked them. And I was like, I like them. And so I just kept recording music. And some of the songs were funny. So when I, the first time I performed on a comedy club stage was senior year of college. I, I was look, I was 21 finally. And I was like, I can get into bars and I can go play my music. And I can right. finally give myself a chance to develop an audience and quote unquote, get discovered. And and I, I found the comedy studio in Boston, which was in Harvard Square. Rick Jenkins. I don't know if you've ever performed yes, there. Yeah, Rick Jenkins. And Wait, so, there was Catch a Rising Star was right there. Uh, yeah, Catch was it was right yeah. around the corner, a couple blocks I used to away. Do that all the time. Yeah. Yeah, and so this was, you know, like this is where like Eugene Merman started, yes. and like a bunch of people who went on to write for Conan, and it was like. Uh, so I, I didn't know it at all. I had seen Rick perform at Brandeis. He, he featured for DJ Hazard. Did you know DJ? Oh yeah. Uh, D and D I love DJ was the first comedian I ever saw headline live. I saw Henny Youngman when I was a kid. Uh, my parents brought me to see Henny Youngman and a a magician, I think closed that show. And I love the magician. And I was like, Henny Youngman, very fine. You know, like, okay, I got a book that he signed, you know? Right, right. But, uh, but DJ was the first live comedian that I saw that really like made me cry. Just like the room wasn't even like packed. I didn't care about anybody else. I was just right. like, he's speaking to my resonant heart of comedy right. that I didn't know existed. Like previously I'd watched Paul Reiser's comedy. I, when I was like 12, 13, right. I saw his first special and I loved it. I, even though I wasn't a married man, but right, I was like right. watching oh, these. this is funny. Yeah. It was so I got the book, Couplehood. I still, that book, I, that, he's probably the comedian I quote the most. Paul 
riser really? in every relationship situation. Like when I was dating Micah Fox, so like I, it, to, it was to the point where I would bring him up and she would be like, uh, you should be married to Paul Reiser. If anyone like, <laughs> so I, so I, I saw DJ and I saw Rick open and I was just like, I love it. And then I didn't even know that I was calling Rick when I was like, oh, th- right. I'm looking for places to perform my music. And I called this comedy club and I'm like, some of my songs are funny. Can I perform on your stage? And he was like, yeah, yeah you can give, I'll give you five yeah. minutes. And I was like, five minutes? Like that's, you know, 15 at a music right. open mic, like three songs, maybe two right. songs. But I played two really short songs in between. I did what I would call riffing now, but then right. I called talking until people stopped laughing and then playing right. a song again. And so, I was definitely not funny. I was not practiced. I was not honing comedy as a craft. I was just like there for the music. I was there to be like, hey, audience, these are my songs. Like right. the first time I went on after Jonathan Katz, he was on the show. Oh, I love Jonathan. Oh, yeah. he was, he, I, knew, he, I knew him from Dr. Katz, his right. TV show. And I was like, I think the first thing I said when I went on stage was something like, I'm super nervous because I'm following a guy who's the most famous person in the room and doing what he's doing the best. And he's also, he finished with a song and I'm about to play songs. Right. So I'm about to try to do the same thing as what the best person did. Right, right, right. And, and that, in, I, I, I was saying it for real. And the people, like I had no sense that it would be, it was endearing. People were like, right. oh, this is, look, look at this little funny Jew, you right. know, whatever. Right. Uh, but yeah, that's, that is how I started that I, I, I thought I was better than I was because of my loving, supportive family and upbringing. That's so, but I love that. Yes. Um, <clears throat> okay. So then you graduate college and then you get a map. Do now, do you get the master's right away? Or- yes, immediately. So immediately you go to BU to get a master's in applied linguistics. Yes. Which the way that saying it How like that. How the fuck yeah. did that happen? <laughs> Uh, I will answer it 100% because saying it like that makes it sound like I had a a methodology. And here was my methodology. Here's what I decided to do is I I remember in college, I was like, I don't want to take any more tests. I don't want to take any more classes. When I'm done with college, I'm done. And then as as being done approached, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm I'm going to keep going. But And also, so I wanted to keep going because I didn't want to get a real job. I didn't know what real job. I would get. I thought of maybe being a teacher like my parents. Like I was like, I've taught summer camp uh, music lessons. I've taught guitar lessons. I applied to teach for America. I didn't get in. I'm grateful for that because my life would be very different if I had moved to the middle of where either nowhere or the middle of everywhere to do that. But I I applied. I I was like, what about grad school? I know how to be in school. I'm good at being in school. If I stay in school, I applied to, again, only in the Boston area and the New York area. And I'm like, I'll be able to perform and then give myself more time at night. And so I applied to mostly psychology degrees, like mostly uh, either like a PsyD, like a practicing psychologist degree or masters of psychs or just like all the different, a social work. I didn't even know. Like I talked to one psych professor. I'm like, there's so many different psych degrees. Like, how right. do I know which one? He's just like, just get a PhD. Then you can do anything. And I'm like, oh yeah, just go to school for 10 oh, yeah, years I know. and then exactly you can do anything. Right. Yeah. And so I was like, I applied to all these degrees and I didn't know which one would be good. And I applied to one linguistics program because I also did get a minor in linguistics and I just loved it. I loved I the know, classes. It's such a great, like I think 
like there, it makes so much sense to me because music is a completely other language as well. Yes. And it's interesting because <clears throat> I, I have terrible ADHD, which was never diagnosed when I was a kid, but I could never finish a book. Like, you know what I mean? Yes. I could sit at the piano for hours. Amazing. And, and I really believe my, my reading music and kept that part, you know, like, cause I read a lot now, but I'm, but I think that was sort of the, the food that I needed to keep my brain going. So, and linguistics is so interesting. Oh yeah. It's, I, I didn't even, I'd never heard of it. You know, I just took, right. I took a class cause it was called like the grammar of English or the structure of right. grammar. And I was like, this is the, the first day the teacher says, like, I don't care if you split infinitives or spell things wrong or say ain't or end a sentence with a preposition. But that was the first time that I learned, which is why I wanted to, when, oh man, okay. The two things so I want to say, yeah. You said, where are you at? All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I think uh, I did write a joke once that was like, where are my English majors at? And, oh, that's uh, funny. Okay. And so, but I remember hearing that and it was when I learned that the study of linguistics is not to be prescriptive, not to tell people how to talk, but to dis- to be descriptive, to describe how people actually do talk. Because right. you don't, you, before you even go to school, you learn how to talk just by listening. That's how the human brain works. And so that's the way that I like to like strive to live my life. Like, so when you said at the beginning of this conversation that like, you're, you're worried about your grammar, it's like, I'm certainly, of course, as you know, not here to pick apart your grammar, not here to judge your but grammar. But I just yeah. know that you will know. Oh, sure. And I, and I would love to, I could do a dissertation. If I was still in school, I could be like, here's how Judy speaks. Here's how everybody speaks. But it was just so amazing. I wish I, what did you learn? Like as, as far as when you talk to a person, yes. Right. Because you have this knowledge, are you, do you learn, you know, do you automatically then figure shit out about that person because of the way they're speaking? That would be a great use for it that I've never even thought of. A hundred percent, like the right. same way that I said Mark Marin was only talking about himself. Like I'm right. only not. I'm not only in my own head, but that's like my natural, right. uh, my, my natural habitat. Like that, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So the if you said like, what do you use linguistics for? I'm like, oh, I learned these things about how to live my life, about my own experience. Right. And like, I remember taking a class called semantics and we discussed like, what is the definition of a chair? That was like right. our first paper or our final. I don't even remember, but right. we discussed like, oh, everyone know if you know what a chair is, you know what a chair is, but right. how do you dis- how do you make a definition for right. it that includes a high chair and a beanbag chair? Right. Cause right. they don't look the same. Right. And so we, I learned the teacher like sort of either led us to this Socratically or just told us at some point that the every definition and particularly a chair is, is made of a form and a function. So like it can either look like a chair or act like a chair. Like a beanbag chair doesn't look like a chair, right. but it is one because you sit on it. It has the function right. of a, a chair. could be a chair. Exactly. Yeah. But like a couch has the function. You sit on it, but we're like, oh no, there's a different, that right. has more. So that one looks like a couch. So you have the function of chair, but the form of a couch so not a, it's more chair-like than something else, but it's not. So we, that's when I started learning about the fluidity of not only language, but right. concepts and reality right. in general that is still go on to this day. We're like, oh, but when that, people are like, yeah. That totally informs your comedy. Yes, 100%. You know? And it's, I love that because it's such abstract thinking, you know? 
it also informs like some practical aspects of living life like that. I think so many of us, like before anyone heard of, before it, before everyone heard the word transgender, if right. you were like, you know, you grow up, I grew up watching, what was it? Kindergarten Cop it had like the, the famous line, like boys have a penis and girls have a vagina. And right. that was funny because a kid was saying a thing that was to right. everyone else, societally speaking, culturally speaking, like an obvious truth that right. now as we move through and progress, we're like, oh, oh, that's not, it's not true and it's not obvious. Like there's right. so much learning and growth that takes place that we we used to think it was, oh, kids are, are learning and adults are done. But now right. we're like, oh, adults are still learning and growing and taking right. in new information. Like, do you well, know that? some adults are doing Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We have okay. the capacity. We, right, 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 right. At, at our best, we are still like, we're not, until we're dead, we're not done. And maybe right. not then, who can say? Like, exactly. Do you know the uh, when Stephen Colbert did the White House press correspondence yes. dinner? My favorite thing that he said that I, I think of a lot. He said like George W. Bush, who's sitting right next to him. He says Bush is consistent. He believes the same thing on Wednesday that he believed on Monday, no matter what happens on right. Tuesday. Right. And right. like that is that is. I mean, I'm not even pointing the finger at other adults. I'm like myself. I was also. We're all like that in right. ways. There's things that we believe are true that we we don't even know that it's a blind spot that it's as true uh, that we that we have that presumption that assumption within us until somebody's like did you know like i had this as a man as a white person as a cisgender person as a straight person until i'm like oh there's other experiences you know and obviously you can know that intellectually but until you like until you, you there's so much more learning to be done that the more you learn the more you learn how much of a of an idiot you are you know right exactly Thank you so much for listening to part one of Kill Me Now with Mike Kaplan. Make sure to tune in next week for part two. Now, if you like the show, which how can you not, please subscribe and leave a review. It helps more people find this amazing show. Five stars only, please. That's five stars. I am so excited. Guess what? I'm doing a live stand-up show via Zoom on May 28th at 6 p.m. Pacific Time, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's for Nowhere Comedy Club. You're going to see me do stand-up. I'm so excited. I miss it so much. So you can get your tickets. You fucking watch from your goddamn sofa, motherfuckers. Get your tickets at judygold.com. Tickets are 10 to 15 bucks. There's also a VIP ticket available for $25. That includes admission, a digital album, and a private meet and greet after the show. Hey, now. Also, if you haven't had the chance to pre-order my new excellent book, yes, I can say that, when they come for the comedians, we're all in trouble. It is available for pre-order now, wherever you get your books, and it'll be released on July 28th. Booklist, which is an amazing organization, calls the book a powerful and powerfully funny argument in support of how vital free speech is to comedy, and comedy is to us, okay? So there you go. It would mean so much to me if you would check it out. All pre-order links are on the homepage of my website, judygold.com. <laughs> okay. Also, make sure to follow me on Twitter and Instagram for all upcoming virtual dates. That's at judygold, J-E-W-D-Y-G-O-L-D. You know, like Jew Gold. Okay? And I hope you're all safe. I hope you're all well. Thank you so much for listening. And as we always say, so long! 
Don't forget to tune in next week to Just Kill Me Now. Um, or, Just Kill Me. Oh. Don't forget to turn uh, for part two on Just Kill Me. No, it's not. It's <laughs> just, just Kill Me. Now. No, Judy Gold's Just Kill Me. Just Kill Me Now. Just Kill Me Now. <laughs>